Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Right, this is Stacey Marie. And I'm speaking about the Stephen Avery case that is about the Kratz bloke. I didn't like Kratz at all. Drove me mad in season two. His attitude in season one drove me nuts. Um, he's disgusting as, yeah. And you learn more about what he was up to in season two. And it didn't surprise me one bit. I didn't, I didn't even have the wish to look, research him. The vibe, as you say, it's just enough. Yeah, he threw those case, that case with the woman he was prosecuting that boyfriend, I reckon, because um, his views on women and the way he treats them, sexually explicit messages, um, I reckon he was in the pocket of the defence for the boyfriend um, and he was paid to throw the case. So I reckon he was trapping her so that, defence for the boyfriend. So yeah, he threw that case so that the boyfriend's defence could win. I reckon he was trapping her. Um and so he could say, look. But then again, he would have got himself caught out, wouldn't he? Unless he anonymized himself. Mm, interesting. Anyway, they were my thoughts. But yeah, he's I could imagine him being like, no way are these women going to win at all because he just doesn't like women. And that's why he treats them like commodities and um, just pieces of meat. And another thing, I am that girl that would go to an autopsy, maybe not as a date because that is freaky. If you want to take me to an autopsy, I'm there. But I'm not dressing up in no skirt and heels. <laughs> not as a date. But yeah, I'm going. All right, I'm done. The gloves are off. Tonight's episode of Making a Murderer, the Stephen Avery case, where we're looking at episode seven for basically detectives. Hope everybody's having a good day. I, I'm i ready to get into this because the deeper I get into this story, the the more frustrated I get with what's going on. So before we begin, please check us out on social media, including patreon.com forward slash love and murder. You can go to our website, murderandlove.com, check out our merch store, check out our episodes, 
you know, while you're checking us out, share us with the people you love, you know, tell the people you know what I'm saying right now, including all the different tiers on our Patreon, starting at $1. However, Kai and I always suggest you get the $5 and above tier for the best deal. So, without further ado, this is Basically Detectives, and my usual disclaimer for Basically Detectives is that we do not present you with the whole story. If you would like to know what is going on with this case, please research it yourself, or even better, watch the show along with us. That way, you know what we're talking about, because this is not a summary show, this is just us telling you just how we feel about the show, not what happened in the show. So without further ado, the episode starts off with the sheriff, Sheriff Jerry Pagel, I think is it? Pagel? Pagel? I don't really know how to pronounce it, but... He essentially confirms that Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department really was only supposed to be involved in this case to supply equipment or resources. Uh, I say resources. Resources can mean anything. But the way that he words it to me sounds like if they needed equipment or some kind of uh, vehicular aid or something like that, the way he described it to me sounded like if they needed equipment, the Manitowoc Sheriff's Department would supply that. So it's weird to me that we have so many testimonies and stories of the the Manitowoc Sheriffs going into Stevens' property and searching around when they weren't supposed to. On top of that, if the Manitowoc, you know, Sheriffs were there, they weren't supposed to be in the property alone. There had to be a, uh, um, is, is, is it Camulet property? The other county that was looking into this, you know, um, they were supposed to be escorted, essentially. Manitowoc personnel couldn't be on the property alone because of Stephen suing them, essentially. So, um, we'll get more into that later because there's a huge conflict of interest there. Now... There was an officer in particular, I can't remember his name or what his actual position was, but he was aware that the Manitowoc associates, basically, weren't supposed to be on the property by themselves. He reports, though, that the day that they found this key that belonged to Teresa's car, oh, what do you know, he wasn't there that day, so of course... To me, it sounds like someone said, oh, Big Brother's not here, let's just go in there and, and, and do what we can to, you know, forward our own agenda. I, I cannot emphasize, I say it every episode, gang, I know, but I can't emphasize how corrupt all of this sounds. There's people who are supposed to be there keeping an eye on things, there's people who are supposed to be monitoring other people. And then when those people aren't there for some reason, all this crazy-ish happens. And it's the only explanation I have as a viewer. I wasn't there. I don't know any of the sheriffs personally. The only explanation I have as a viewer is that something shady is going on. On top of there's supposed to be somebody who is monitoring who goes into the property, when and where, and who needs supervision. There were officers, apparently, that didn't even know about this rule. So, that right there, very iffy to me. And another thing that was 
I don't know how I feel about this to describe it, but Stephen's defense was describing how when the officers found the key on the floor, how uh, I think they were trying to prove the point that it, it magically just suddenly appeared there. So they asked the one sergeant, uh, Colburn, they're asking him, you know, how did you manipulate anything? And he admitted that he really manhandled the dresser or, or the bookshelf, whatever it was that the nightstand, whatever it was that they found the keys next to. He admits to like manhandling it and moving it around and shuffling it and getting kind of tough with it. And Stephen's defense, they say, well, you know, if the keys were on the floor and they fell from the dresser or whatever that piece of furniture was, if it fell from the piece of furniture, wouldn't you have heard them hit the floor? And he's like, oh, well, no, because the floor was carpeted. Motherfucker! You mean to tell me that a dangling key on a chain with a lanyard isn't going to make some kind of thud sound even on carpet? Even if the key and the key ring just scrape against each other or land, you know, in a certain way, the keys are going to jangle when they fall. I have dropped my keys on carpet a hundred times. I always hear slash feel them fall. They're fucking keys. They're metal pieces of things. And even if it is just one key, you would still hear it clanking against the, the plastic of the clip or the or the key ring. Like, and then this this crass motherfucker who you guys know I can't stand is like, you know, because Steven's defense is like, if I drop the key right here right now, let's see if it makes a sound. And that motherfucker Kratz is like, oh, Jackson, is this supposed to be some kind of experiment? Apparently it is. Like, no fucking shit. The judge doesn't say anything, but Steven's defense is like, fine, you know what, we don't have to worry about that. I I mean, like, the only reason I can see Kratz speaking up that way is if he's being defensive. because And it, it sounds like a minute point, like, oh, do keys make sound when they fall over? But... The way it goes in a courtroom, like, you expose one little detail, you prove one little detail correct, and then you can start building your case and making the details bigger and bigger, you know? So, if, it's like, if the key does make a sound when it falls over, oh, you would have heard it fall over. And, to me, it seems like if a sheriff had said, oh yeah, I, I did hear them hit the floor, it sounded like they, they fell off on the ground... That sounds a lot better than the keys just appearing out of thin air, you know. And Stephen's defense really does kind of try to nail that home. Good for them. But, oh, that Kratz guy, I just, the way that he steps in and is like, is this some kind of experiment for the jury? I'm like, shut up. Every time that man talks, I just, I, I can't even say what I'm going to do. <laughs> I get aggravated. And I just can't wait to see what kind of BS he has to say next. It's just, his attitude too, like, dude, they're trying to prove a point. I understand that he's also trying to prove a point, but in that particular moment, it seemed like he was grasping at straws, you know. But Steven's defense, they, they just they just keep talking. They, you know what? doesn't matter. On to the next point, and they kept talking. Because the point that they were trying to get to was, if... The officers can plant the key. That means it's totally possible they could also plant the bloodstains, too. 
I don't think Kratz was going to have any of that. You know, if, if they can pull off putting the key there, you know, what's stopping them from saying, oh, you know what, we have this vial of blood from 15 years ago or whatever it was when he got arrested and, and wrongfully sent to prison. Let's just spray some of that blood on there, too, just to keep it, you know, just to hammer home that he did this and set him up. You know, that's, that's the kind of shady stuff that I can see them trying to prove. And from what I've seen, I agree with all that. You guys know me. I'm... I'm not usually, you know, the conspiracy guy, but all of this evidence coming into play here is just, to me, it points at one thing, and it's that Steven's being set up. And like I said before, Steven's not the greatest guy in the world. I know he's a little iffy in, around the neighborhood, and, you know, a lot of people do believe that he did this murder based on his character, but at the same time... It, it just seems, the evidence doesn't support that to me. There's a lot of stuff, like, technically the evidence does point to him, but the nature of the evidence and the questions surrounding the evidence, the circumstances around the evidence, are what make me question things. So if you look at the evidence, to me that's like on a surface level. If you look at this case on a surface level, it's obvious that someone would think Stephen did it. But when you look a little deeper, as most investigatory you know, units should do, when you look deeper, that's when the questions start to arise. And it's, and you get you thinking along the lines of, how did the evidence get there? Why did they search Stephen's property for four days, and then only on the last day did they find pieces of evidence that were vital to the case? You know, that... If that was... Oh, guys. I, I can't even put in the words. I'm frustrated. I'm getting with this case. And again, I watched this show two or three years ago whenever it first came out. And I don't remember getting this upset about it. But now that I'm going through and watching it, maybe I was just in so much awe of how stupid some of this stuff sounds. But now, I guess now that I've processed it, and I can process it while I'm watching it, and I'm also feeding it back to you guys what I think that might be helping me to kind of, you know, uh, get out there how, how bad I feel about it. But at the same time, it, it's... Ooh. And then fucking Kratz again. Oh, if you're going to say that a cop is crooked, then you need more than just your elbows on the table. All this crap that they're talking about is all the evidence to say that the cops are crooked. Just because you're not agreeing with the evidence they're showing, or you're saying every little thing you can to make the evidence they're presenting seem like nothing, that doesn't mean they're not, they're not doing their due diligence of bringing stuff to the table. They are pointing out left and right, you know, this key magically appeared on the floor one day after searching the property for four days, you know, and then on top of that, you guys have this vial of blood from, from the past, that has a little prick hole in it, as if someone, you know, drew liquid from it after it was sealed up. And then, oh, and then, of course, you know, it just so happens that the sheriff's department, who was getting sued by Stephen, are the ones who were there, and it's real iffy that they weren't supposed to be there, but they're constantly not being looked after or watched or, or maintained properly, because they're going in there when they're not supposed to be alone, apparently. And it's just so... I can't fucking believe this, man. You need to put more on the table. Fuck you. 
I, ugh. Ugh. And no matter how the sheriffs, no matter how the officers explain that the key got there, the key being there never adds up to me. Every, everything they say is like, oh, well, you know, uh, we, we searched and looked over and maybe we missed it the first time. Like, maybe you missed it the first time? Maybe you missed it the first several times. Doubtful. Maybe it wasn't there the first several times, and then someone put it there, and now it was there. That's where we're at, guys. That That's... That's... Unbelievable. So they call up Sergeant Colburn to the stage. The, the, the stand, I mean. And... Kratz asks him... I think it was Kratz. It might have been the other guy, but I, I can't remember. They ask him, what's your connection to Stephen Avery? And he has, Sergeant Colburn essentially says, you know, I got a call saying that someone in their prison probably did what we think a guy in our prison did. So they think we have, so essentially someone called him and said, hey, we got a guy in our, in our lockup. We think he did the crime that you guys are accusing another person you have locked up of doing. And Colburn is like, oh, you know what? Let's rightfully so. He tells the detective who called him, it would be best if you talked to a detective and then patched him through to a detective. And I wanted to talk about that because the prosecutor was saying that that was the only kind of influence Colburn had on the case. That was the only kind of connection he had to Stephen Avery, was just transferring a phone call. But that's the problem with corruption. Corruption runs deep. Wherever corruption starts, it trickles down. So if the people above Colburn are corrupt, he's more than likely corrupt too. Now, it's not to say that there can't be good cops amongst a bad group, but more often than not, the corruption spreads wide and it spreads deep. So, just because Colburn had this one tiny interaction with Stephen Avery, it wasn't even really a direct interaction. He just kind of pushed some stuff along. That I will give him. All he did was that one thing. That's not really connected to anything. However, when the whole sheriff's department is being sued, and they're all in deep trouble, and, again, the guy at the top, he could be spoiling all the people below him. Corruption, guys, is how it works. You either get corrupted from the inside out, or from the top to the bottom. That's that's just what it is. So, uh, essentially what I'm trying to say is that I don't give two dams. This was his only quote-unquote interaction with the case, you know. He could still be doing shady stuff in the interest of the sheriff's department, or his position, or the position of a friend of his who's higher up, it doesn't it doesn't matter. It does not matter. On a previous episode, I did mention that they, they spoke to Pete Bays, who was like an ex... I think he was an ex-prosecutor or an ex-sheriff's sergeant or something like that. He was 
I mentioned him on episode before, and he's been in a previous episode of Making a Murderer. But he comes on to the screen and he explains that a conflict of interest essentially is the worst scenario you could ever be put in as an investigatory agency because the conflict of interest requires very specific a, a very specific approach and that approach is to not get involved essentially if there's a conflict of interest it is in your best interest to just distance yourself and not get involved and he's saying that what i think he's trying to say is that the Manitowoc Sheriff's Department being involved is already bad it's a bad look on them it's it's a bad approach it it can only breed disaster is kind of the context that i got from what he was saying now they go on to talk about the key some more and they do point out that other reports that detail their search of the property they leave out mentionings of this key that's one more piece of evidence to say that the key just randomly appeared out of nowhere. The key is not mentioned at all until, like, the day that they quote-unquote find it. So, on one hand, that speaks to, okay, they didn't... I can kind of see how that favors both sides. Like, the key wasn't mentioned until they found it. So it wasn't like... Day one, they found this key, and then they reported it, you know, day three or day four. No, there's no mention of the key until the day they found it. And I guess, honestly, if there was a mention of the key, like the first or second day, that would kind of make more sense. It's like, okay, we found this key as soon as we came in this room. We found this key, or as soon as we decided to search this room and and did do a diligent search, we found this key. That would have been more favorable to them in my eyes, because that means they found it. This this bullcrap about, you know, searching the property several like several times and and being there for several days at a time. Again, I'm not buying that. But anyway. It also got a little iffy when they were talking about the log, like who was going into the property and who wasn't. They start the log at like 2 p.m., I believe, when one of the FBI agents, I believe it was an FBI investigator, when one of the FBI associates told them to start a log to keep track of who was there, there were people who were there that didn't even sign into the log. Uh, and again, I don't remember which person it was that they were talking about, but they handed the guy the log and they said, okay, so Mr. So-and-so leaves at this time he signs out do you see him signing in anywhere and they shuffle through the pages and scroll up and down and look and there's nothing so the person who they spoke of that signed out was there for an indistinguishable amount of time the only thing you have to go off of that is testimony and and accounts of other people who were there and that's assuming you can trust what they're saying or that they even know I'm pretty sure the guy they're talking about was Link, who is very, very tied to... If, if there's corruption, and they are framing Steven, I believe he's at the top of this. Don't don't take my words for fact. That's just what I believe coming out of this. I believe that if there is corruption, and he and 
they are framing Steven, I believe he's at the top of it. He and one other person are at the top of it. Um, so for him to be there for an undistinguishable amount of time is is crazy to me. They should have gone to him and said, when they established this log, they should have gone to everybody who was there and said, sign in right now, or at least figure out who got here first and then sign in with the timestamp of when you got here, just for records, just for the sake of keeping records. They didn't do any of that. They decided that wasn't good enough. So, oh, I'm just going to sign out when I leave. But when the fuck did you get here? How fucking long were you here? Kai is going to yell at me for cussing in this episode, but she's going to have to deal with it. Because I'm dealing with this. I ain't got time for that. This is how I feel. Deal with it, guys. I'm sorry. I'm a little on edge. They're pissing me off. I. What are they doing? You hear so many stories about law enforcement being incompetent. And this is a prime example. Have I met good cops? Yes. Have I met decent cops? Yes. I've only ever heard... Well, that's not true. I did meet one terrible cop. But aside from that, I've only ever heard stories of incompetent cops. All the cops I've met in my life, and I haven't met many because I'm not really... I don't get in a whole lot of trouble. But I've done stupid stuff. You know, I've been caught on the road speeding or, you know, turning when I shouldn't. Stuff like that. All the cops that I've met were real chill. You know, didn't uh, do what they had to do. Did their job. You know. These people, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I don't know. Nothing about me. Let's get back to the show. Again, like I mentioned before, I hate how the media is trying to push this. You know, Kai mentioned before that, Kai's mentioned this before, I've mentioned this before, when Steven got unlawfully arrested before, the media didn't want to help out. His mom sent boxes and notes and letters and all kinds of stuff to different media outlets. They wanted nothing to do with this case. Now that the case is big and and it, it's like this big thing, they're harassing his mother and family every time they go to visit him. They show the scene where his mother is coming out of the of the lockup, I guess, and they're like, oh, how's Steven doing? And she literally says, I don't want to share anything. And they keep following her to her car, asking her questions. And she's ignoring them, and they're still asking her questions. I cannot stand the way that the media treats these people. It's awful. It's just... If that were me, I would just be like, go the fuck away. Get the mic out of my face. I'm not answering any questions. I, I would just have to say that. Like, I'd have to get a little rude. Well, not that they wouldn't deserve it, but... I'd have to leave me the fuck alone so I can carry about my business. I'm not telling you anything. I have never wanted to tell any of you anything. And I'm not going to start now. So please just go away. Go interview some other poor victim, some other poor sap. You know... Or I'd make up stupid answers like, oh, I'm going to Disneyland. Fuck you guys. Or, you know, or, where are you, you going to do now? I'm going to get wasted. You know, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, and now in the episode, the part about this show that I remember the most is them discussing the EDTA. And just in case you guys missed it or need some clarification, EDTA is a chemical compound that they put in blood to preserve it. 
So when the blood needs to get stored away for, for testing later, or it gets stored as evidence, they put EDTA in the blood to preserve it. And Stephen's defense even clarifies, just to make sure that we're all aware, you know, EDTA is not something your body produces naturally. So if you find blood that has EDTA in it, it's been put in there. Blood that has EDTA does not come from a fresh cut or a fresh wound. So Stephen's defense, you know, they want to test the blood samples. They want to know, does the blood have signs of preservatives in it? Because if it does, that means it was in a lab before it was on Teresa's vehicle. And his defense, they're, they're a little upset by the fact that, you know, uh, I think it was the FBI who ran this test. They're a little upset that the FBI can configure all of their machines and run this test in like two weeks. Meanwhile, they haven't needed to run this test and they haven't had the equipment to run the test in, ten, in the last 10 years. Now all of a sudden they have everything they need and they get the process done in like a couple weeks. One of Stephen's attorneys even says like, if we needed them to process anything else, it, it would have taken months. Now here we are, oh, you need to figure out EDTA in this blood. Oh look, there's no EDTA. So I do agree with Stephen's defense. That did seem a little weird that they were able to pick that up so quickly, but... At the same time, the agent who tested the samples only tested three swabs. So he had a very small sample compared to all of the stuff that was actually in the car. And Stephen's defense does drive home the fact that there's so much blood in that car to only test three small samples of it. That, I agree with them in saying that that doesn't verify everything in the car. In order to really test, I think you'd have to collect all of the blood in the car, or at least a majority of it. Maybe even half of it. Maybe. I'm not a forensic analyst. I'm just talking out of what I believe. If they got like half the blood and then tested it, and then said there wasn't EDTA, that might be a bit viable for me. On the flip side, though, they do mention another specialist comes on board and she says the method of testing whether or not blood has EDTA in it. She explains that the method they're using doesn't give any different results when there is EDTA and it hasn't been detected or there is no EDTA and you don't find it because it's not there. She confirms there's no real way to conf to like verify what the result is. So in other words, when the test came back that there was no EDTA, it could have been a false positive. Or I'm sorry, it could have been a false negative. Like negative, there's no EDTA. That's there still could be though is the problem. So even the method they're using to and then that might tie in with the fact that they were able to do it so quickly. Maybe. Because they did it so quickly, the test just wasn't efficient enough. But, you know, I guess until I review the next episode, we're not going to know. So we'll see what happens with that. And something I didn't understand was that Stephen decided he didn't want to testify during the trial. That confused me. 
I believe that was a mistake. Um, Steven said, I believe I'm innocent, and if I'm an innocent man, I shouldn't have to talk, so I'm not gonna. And Teresa's, I believe it was Teresa's brother, said, if you have nothing to hide, if you didn't do this, what's the harm of going up there and talking? I, I agree with that. Like, I think Steven should have testified and said, you know, how he felt about what was going on, you know, if the, if he got any questions he was asked, the answers he, he could have given might have shed some light on some things or, you know, you never know. We don't know what Stephen was going to be asked while on the stand. We don't know what kind of answers he was going to give. So I think that was a missed opportunity for Stephen. I believe he should have testified on the stand. But with that, episode 7 of Making a Murderer came to a conclusion. Uh, you guys can look forward to episode 8 next week. As always, please watch the episode. Watch Making a Murderer. Let us know what you think in the comments down below on whatever platform you're listening to. Hit us up on Patreon. Become a member. Patreon.com forward slash love and murder. Check out our website, our merch store, murderandlove.com. You can find us on all kinds of social media platforms, but for right now, guys, I'm just going to go vent somewhere and start working on the next episode. So lock your doors at night and be safe. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.